What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today on the show, I have Ramon Van Meer. This is a awesome conversation. We actually connected through Twitter. He had an amazing story there about how he purchased a company called Alpha Paw and then scaled it up and how that company's evolved, what he's looking to do with it, some of the challenges he's faced, both from advertising updates with Facebook, also supply shortages. So just an awesome conversation all around. Lots to learn from Ramon in this one. I think you'll enjoy it. But before we get into it, as always, this show is brought to you by Cave. We're an advertising agency based out of LA that can help you grow and tell your brand story. So if you need some help, particularly when it comes to things like social media, paid ad campaigns, head over to cavesocial.com. We would love to help you out. All right, now let's get into this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, joining me from Austin, Texas is Ramon Van Meer. He is the founder, or not founder, sorry, you. this is the thing I want to talk about, is you actually purchased a company and scaled it up. I saw Ramon, he had a Twitter thread, which I will post a link to in the show notes, but it really, I loved it. And then I went, I checked it out, read it, and I'm like, I got to get this guy on the show. So Ramon, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. So two and a half years ago, you bought a dog ramp business for 300000 I'm going to set the table there. You went in, said, I'm buying this business. One, what made you think you wanted to buy it? And then two, walk me through that journey of scaling it from there. Yeah. So my background is buying and selling businesses. I've been doing that for a while. And I was looking for a business in the pet space, but was not really, not sure like what kind of business. So, you know, there's these websites out there like brokers or marketplaces where you can see what companies are for sale. You can look at all the metrics. And I found this website. It was pretty small. They were doing $700,000 in revenue, was founded by two guys from Australia, and they were selling dog rams. And I felt so like intrigued, like, wait, I didn't know dog rams was actually a thing. I have a dog, I have a pit bull, but I've never heard about like, you know, a ramp for dogs to get on the sofas. So I started doing research on the product and they're actually really fell in love with it because it's actually a product that really solves a problem for a lot of people, especially people with small dogs, not just dogs that cannot physically jump on a sofa because they're too small, right? They cannot make the jump. But more importantly, actually, a lot of smaller dogs and some breeds more than others will, it's really bad for their joints and their spine to jump off furniture. And I always love products that actually really solve a problem, right? It's a must versus a like a want basically product. Then I looked further. When I buy a business, I always like to see what are the growth levers or levers that I, with my skill set, can do to right away increase value. So typically when I look at a business, I typically don't buy a business from an internet marketer or, you know, a marketer because they probably have done a much better job already optimizing it than I could do. And in this specific case, the two founders, really nice guys, really great at coming up with the idea and the product, but they were not marketers. So to give you an example, they were not doing any Facebook ads, not any paid acquisition, no email marketing whatsoever. And the website was really not optimized for conversions. The copy was not great, the pictures, etc. 
So yeah, all these things combine of a unique product that solves a problem for a niche audience too, because then you can target your audience really well. Plus then at least having three growth levers that I thought I could change around to grow. To be honest, I was not expecting we were able to grow, you know, from 700,000 to, you know, what we ended up doing. But yeah, I definitely thought, you know, we could at least five to 10 X, you know, the revenue. So talk to me a little bit off air. You said you lived in San Francisco for a bit, Silicon Valley, and now you're in Mm -hmm. Austin. So you're around entrepreneurs, you're around founders, you're around people who are raising money, building, you know, that are obsession with building for the future. And that's awesome. And it's invigorating. But talk to me a little bit about that mindset. Or is there a different feeling that you go through when you're like, well, I'm going to buy and scale versus try to create something? you know, from the ground up. Have you felt, have you ever felt the pressure to be like, hey, you should be creating your own thing? Or has it always been like, I know that I can take something from a, you know, a little bit of a base and then really, for lack of a better term, ramp it up mm-hmm. versus, you know, yeah. versus creating something from scratch. Does that pressure ever seep in? And how'd you deal with it? Well, I've done both sides. And I think there's not, there was a small debate on Twitter off that uh, tweet right, that you were talking about of like, you know, people saying, no, no, you should build because X, Y, Z, you could have take that $300,000 and, you know, you could have done X, Y, Z. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think there's also a personality and skill set. Some people are amazing of coming up with the idea and going from zero to one. Others are better or good at going from one to 10, like scaling. I like buying because it gives you speed. Meaning, you know, if I would have to start the ramp business all by myself, meaning coming up with idea, finding suppliers, finding freight companies, finding 3PLs, filing trademarks. They had an Instagram account of 500,000 real organic followers. They had SEO traffic, right? Like all these things, as you know, it will take time. Even if I have a 100-person team on it, you cannot just like go overnight, have SEO, you know, rankings for, you know, hundreds of keywords. Overnight, you cannot go from zero to 500,000 Instagram followers, things like that. So it really gives you speed. Secondly, what I like is you can overnight, you already, revenue is coming in right away, right? As soon as you buy it, you have funds and you have a history too. So you kind of know like, okay, if we buy this for $300,000, at least we'll have $50,000 a month in revenue coming in. Now it's more about optimizing, not so much of building. And yeah, those are the main reasons why I like to buy. And it's the same with real estate. I always try like make those comparisons. It's like, yeah, you can buy a lot and then you can build a house and then rent it out or an apartment building. But, you know, as you... I've never done it, but I assume it will take at least one to two years of building and then you have to rent it out. So only in two and a half years, you're finally going to get some cash flow out of it. Versus if you buy, like what I like to do is buy an existing apartment building that's old and crappy, but in an up and coming neighborhood or good neighborhood, and then just fix it up because I know I'm good at painting and I'm good at, you know, putting new carpet in. So I'm specifically looking at buildings that I know, oh, it only needs a fresh paint and new carpet. Similar with internet businesses, I look for businesses that are under-optimized for the skill sets that I have. Does that make sense? I love it. I love that comparison, right, to, to real estate. I think that's awesome. Now, 
Talk to me about, you know, you come in, you take the business, you scale it, and then the world happens. And what I mean by that is iOS privacy updates happen. Shipping starts to slow down. We have the container sitting at ports. Like, was that felt overnight for you? Was it like, oh, wow, our business has fundamentally changed today? Walk me through kind of taking those lumps and then how you've adjusted or what the learning is from kind of these, you know, outside forces and how they've affected your business. Yeah, it definitely didn't like overnight was like, oh, no, because, you know, I think I, I still remember when we started getting in the lockdown, you know, I also thought like, oh, this is maybe a couple of weeks. And initially, our sales actually were doing good because nobody was able to buy stuff in stores. So I actually was like, oh, you know, like Amazon and Chewy sales also increased like crazy, similar to ours. But the ripple effect of, you know, COVID, meaning supply chain, you know, backed up, container pricing going up, cost of goods sold, you know, lumber pricing up, everything, all the raw material pricing went up. That slowly basically went up. And to give you an example, a container from Asia to the US, we used to pay 2,500. And then it's slowly went up to 5,000 and then 7,000 and then 8,000. And every month our shipping brokers say like, yeah, hopefully next month it will go back down. But it never got that back down. It actually went up all the way to $25,000. Wow. And that's okay if you have a very small product that, you know, a million items fit in a container, but we sell pretty oversized products. So our incremental increase of freight costs really went up. So it was not like one thing overnight, slowly. And then FedEx and UPS came up with their quote-unquote COVID surcharges, where they suddenly charge a couple dollars more to deliver your package to your customer. And then they said it's temporarily. And every time we're at end of the time, they you get an email again like, oh, we extended the COVID surcharge for three more months, and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, definitely it's been an, not an easy year for most e-commerce brands because it was A, we got slaughtered on the supply chain, especially if you are have products that come from overseas. And then on the marketing side, you know, we all heard about the iOS updates and Facebook and how it's more difficult to, you know, target and, audiences. And coming out of that, right, was that a big push then to say, okay, we need to look at some other channels and some diversification of our marketing. And if so, like we talked a little bit off air, like distinguishing between, okay, what's a channel I should pursue and maybe what's a distraction? right? Has there been for you a channel that you've opened up and said, hey, we're going to get into this copywriting or you know, content writing or creating videos or email? or What have those channels been for you? And then I would also say, has there been anything that maybe has been a distraction that maybe you got pulled into and then you're like, wait a sec, wait a sec, this is a distraction. Um, I'd love to hear kind of that uh, experience. Yeah. I don't know the English word, but like, I'm never afraid to try different things. And sometimes it works, other times not, right? So I always try things. So I have no shortage of ideas that didn't work. But yeah, the problem with this Facebook is we all got so addicted because Facebook was one of the few or only so far where you could scale so fast with so much with Facebook. Before, there were not really channels that could do that, you know, for like, look at us. We went from, you know, $700,000 when I bought the business 
in 12 months, we went, we were at 7.5 million. And in the second year, we did 20 million, right? And it was all Facebook. Yeah, of course, we had Google AdWords and we had email, but it all started with Facebook because Facebook got us so much new traffic, email signups, and that's why we were able to do email marketing, et cetera. Regardless of Facebook, I, and this is more like a long-term because my background is content and SEO. Before this business, I sold a content site. So we at Alphapod do a lot of content marketing and SEO. The problem is, you know, it's not scalable and it's not overnight. It's not like, oh, if I invest $100 today in a couple articles or SEO, tomorrow we'll have more sales. So we do that, but that's more long-term. The sort of supplemental revenue or channel, what we are doing now is influencers. It's not as scalable as Facebook because it also takes longer. For example, we pay somebody, a big influencer today to post a story about a product. Typically, not like on the same day, a few people will buy the next day, some people, but then it's onto us because we do get a lot of traffic. We have to retarget that traffic that uh, that influencer got us. And, you know, the payback window is longer with influencer marketing. Plus, it's more costly to test. Mm-hmm. Where Facebook, you could test a creative or an idea with $500 or 1000 Like, they're different people have different opinions of how much minimal you have to spend to test. But with influencers, like, you know, sometimes we spend 5000 and it was a bust. So those are the things we're doing. To answer your question what about distraction, so I thought, hey, maybe to have it easier for customers to buy again and not to have to put their same credit card information, a mobile app might be a good user experience for people that just want to, you know, rebuy. Plus mobile app push notifications, you know, it's another way to reach your customers. So we started, similar like Chewy, we started developing a mobile app. And I think we started 13 months ago and it's still not out. And it's every week there's meetings and it's just like, that's definitely distraction. Even if it's finished, we still have to find ways to basically push it. And it's a different business. So long hindsight, I should not have even started that. Yeah, no, totally. Right. It's like it, it, uh, and that's tough to distinguish, right? When you're in the driver's seat, sometimes it's hard to see all of that, right? And, and say, okay, decipher what's going to be a good decision, what's going to be bad. We make our best guess and move forward. Now, one of the things, okay, looking at different channels, something else AlphaPot did, which I found really interesting, is you expanded the product base and said, we're going to do some other products. Talk to me a little bit about the thinking on, okay, hey, we need some more products. Where that stressor kind of came or that reality came when you said, you know what, ramps aren't going to be enough. Or what you said to me off air, there's going to be the ceiling. Walk me through that thought process and then talk to me about how the company's evolved and what products are, are offered under the brand now. Yeah. As soon as I bought it, like I was already like, okay, this is, it's a great product. The margins are good. It solves, it actually solves a problem and it helps. But this product is a niche within a niche. Not all dog owners need it. It's only a small segment of dog owners that need a ramp. So there is going to be a ceiling. And on top of that, it's also, so there's a market size ceiling, but there's also, it's a one off product, right? So there's going to be a day that you almost sold ramps to anybody that is willing to pay money for a ramp. So we always like, okay, what's going to be, in order to increase enterprise value or increase scale the company further, 
we're going to need to pivot into a recurring product. And, you know, that's always the hot holy grail of e-commerce or even SaaS, right? That's why SaaS is such an appealing niche because it's recurring, you know, revenue. So we, you know, in pets, there's a bunch of products that a pet owner needs every day, every week, every month. Think of foods, you know, supplements, pee pads, poop bags, you know, so we really slowly added other products into our product mix and started marketing those products to our existing ramp customers and yeah try to get to convert them into dog food subscribers for example because that's where you know the ltv is and even like when i buy a business or start a business me personally i like to have an exit strategy in mind and then reverse engineer so in this case tons of research talked with companies that buy uh, big pet businesses or brokers or investment bankers that have worked on those, trying to really understand like, okay, what type of company would get the highest valuation or the highest multiple when I want to sell it? Because if I'm just a ramp business, and these numbers that I'm now going to say are more like as to explain, but if I was just ramps, no other product, you for an e-commerce business like that, I might get two times my annual revenue if I want to sell it. But if I sell dog food and 80% of my mark or product mix and revenue comes from food and recurring, suddenly instead of two times, I can potentially get six times revenue, right? It's the same work. I still have the same work 12 hours a day and still try to sell this product to pet owners. So there's a lot of the things are the same work. But if I maybe focus on this product, I can have the potential exit is so much higher. I love that. Now, I'm interested when you got into the food part of the business, did you go out and buy a dog food business or did you start that one from kind of scratch within the brand? Because I'm sure that's a a different whole thing, right? Figuring out recipes and is it healthy and all of that would be an undertaking, I'm sure. Yeah. I wish I could have bought one, but there was no, no one, nothing available. So when we have a new idea, it's if we cannot find a business to buy, in the meantime, we'll start building because I don't want to hold off an idea and hoping like, oh, maybe one day the dog food business, you know, will be up for sale. But we actively, you know, reach out and try to see what's in the market. But in this case, we were forced to work on it ourselves. And it's been a long journey. Like you said, like, I don't know anything about, I'm not a cook. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not, I'm not a vet. So you have to first find a person or a company, a vet nutrition that can actually build the recipes for you. Then you have to find a co-packer and then you have to find like, it's a very long process that, you know, if I could have bought a small dog food business that already had that and the recipes and, you know, supply chain, it would have saved us a lot of time. Unreal. Awesome, Ramon. This has been uh, so good to, to connect and hear your story. Now, for anyone who's listening and wants to connect with you online, where's the best place to go? And then two, if they want to get some of the Alpha Paw products, where should they head? Yeah, I just started uh, focusing on my Twitter and that's why you, you saw the tweet. So yeah, you can follow me on uh, Ramon Van Meer on Twitter. And because I try, I will try to quote unquote, built in public more, basically like just tweet about like what things that are working or are not working with e-commerce or, you know, other ventures I'm involved with. And then for our products, yeah, check out alphapaw.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Ramon. I uh, appreciate it here in the story. Thank you, Jordan. 
All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time. Um.